This is the Beethoven 9 at 9 podcast, first aired Saturday mornings at 9 on Colorado Public Radio. I'm Monica Vischer. Each of our nine episodes explores one of Ludwig van Beethoven's symphonies, its role in Beethoven's path to musical revolution, and why it still endures today. We are now forging into several of Beethoven's most famous symphonies. Last week, we talked about the bold and conquering Fifth Symphony, Today, the serene and immensely lyrical sixth, it's called the Pastoral Symphony, came right on the heels of the fifth in 1808. Jan Swafford is the author of the biography Beethoven, Anguish and Triumph, and he once again joins us to discuss this symphony. Welcome back, Jan. Always good to be here. What did you mean in your book, Beethoven, Anguish and Triumph, when you referred to the sixth symphony as the anti-fifth? Well, everything the Fifth Symphony is, which we say is dramatic and powerful and overwhelming and things like that, the Sixth Symphony goes in the other direction. It is gentle. It is undramatic. It is calm. It is calming and soothing and prayerful, with one big exception in the middle of it. Compare the development sections in the first movement of the Fifth and Sixth. The development in the Fifth ratchets up the intensity to an enormous level whereas the development section in the first movement of the sixth was the most placid part of the piece. It just sort of drifts along in this kind of loping, what I call a donkey cart rhythm, dum-da-da-dum-bum-bum-ba-da-dum-bum. He wanted to write a pastoral symphony, and I think He was writing something that was actually, in various ways, a little dangerously tacky at the time. Can you elaborate? Certain gestures at that time were considered to be part of pastoral uh, tone and music, and they had to do with things like folk-like tunes, a general air of kind of ingenuousness, often sort of bagpipey drones, The pastoral was a settled idea that had certain kinds of musical gestures associated with it, which amounted to cliches of the pastoral genre. And Beethoven's huge problem in this piece was how can I write a piece that uses those ideas that identify it as pastoral without writing a piece that's a big fat cliché. This was Beethoven's sunniest symphony to date. No suffering, no triumph, uh, really. No shaking his fist at the sky. (laughs) Right. No minor (laughs) keys, no furrowing of the brow. I'm trying to imagine Beethoven without the furrowed brow. Was this a reflection of his personal life at the time? It was more a reflection of his sense of nature, which was his spirituality. Beethoven was very concerned with God in his own way, but he didn't attend church. He was probably kind of anti-clerical. Nature was his religion in the way that it was for a lot of people in that time. Nature was considered the revelation of God. Nature was kind of a gigantic scripture. So in this sense, I think the Sixth Symphony is actually a religious piece. It's a spiritual piece.
So take us on a tour of each movement in the Pastoral Symphony by Beethoven. He gave each movement a very specific title for a specific reason. He did. So what he was doing was taking a pictorial and storytelling piece and mapping that into the traditional structure and movements of a symphony. The first movement is is in sonata form. It's the usual kind of first symphonic first movement. Can you explain sonata form? This is a formal outline of pieces in those days, especially used in first movements, where you present some contrasting ideas in two, at least two key centers. This is the absolutely oversimplified version, and that's called the exposition. In the middle, you have what's called the development, which is an as-if improvisation on the themes of the exposition. Then you have the recapitulation, in which the opening themes come back. Now, that's a very general formal outline. Mm-hmm. Well, the first movement conforms to that general idea, and he eventually called it awakening of cheerful feelings on arriving in the country. You can almost hear the sunshine in the first movement. He said the second movement is going to be the usual slow symphonic movement. But in this case, he called it seen by the brook. Uh, And he'd already done the sketch earlier, years earlier, where he was literally trying to write in notation the sound of a brook. And then he said, okay, now we're going to have the symphonic scherzo, the fast movement in triple time. What is that going to be in terms of my story then? It's going to be peasants dancing. And in the place of what's called the middle part of the, of the scherzo, which we call the trio, he goes into this very rough, folksy peasant dance. <laughs> He presented himself another problem. This is a pastoral piece, there's got to be a storm. But it was the biggest cliche of all. And what he decided was very characteristic for him. He said, the storm is going to break the form. The scherzo is going along, the dance is going, and suddenly that's how the storm happens in the music. It destroys the scherzo, it just wipes it out. He said the finale will be called, he ended up calling it Shepherd's Song. After the the violence of the storm, it's a slowish, flowing, very beautiful, very simple, folk-like movement, a return to a different kind of placidity than the first movement. I imagine he could have written the very same symphony simply by going through his nature walks in Colorado. <laughs> he would he would have loved Colorado, I think. He liked mountains. I mean, he was already the romantic exaltation of nature. Uh, he was a nature guy. 
and a big hiker. Tell us what was happening sociopolitically, 1808, at this time. How did it affect Beethoven's symphony, if it did, his sixth symphony? What was happening in the world, we were, we're still in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars, actually toward the end of the Napoleonic Wars. Napoleon, by this point, is headed for Waterloo, but that's still years in the future. But he was no longer the hero that progressives like Beethoven thought he had been. And in fact, the age of heroes was declining. It was going away. We call Beethoven's second period the heroic period, but the reality is that the heroic period in culture was doomed, and it would be quite thoroughly and deliberately killed in the next decade. So in that situation, Beethoven's symphonies were beginning to turn to other kinds of ideas, the inward quality of the Fifth Symphony, a personal journey of suffering and triumph, uh, and the Sixth Symphony, a kind of religious work. Can you point to other music he was writing at this time that reflects that? The Fourth Piano Concerto, to me, is a kind of inward piece. It begins with almost a thoughtful soliloquy by the piano. I I find the piano kind of Hamlet-like in that piece, and Hamlet is somebody who's totally interior. Uh, He was moving toward this idea of spirituality, which ultimately was going to replace the heroic image in his music. He did not believe that God made him a great composer. He never said, I have to do what God put me here to do. He didn't believe that. He believed that his gift came from nature and what happened after that was his own doing. personality did Beethoven have? When he was in a good mood, he was actually quite a delightful person. He was kind of full of beans and just talked a mile a minute, and the (laughs) subjects of his conversation ranged all over the place. He didn't like to talk about music very much, and he almost never talked about his own music. And then he had this terrible temper, which he was very well aware of, and he was just explosive, and he was paranoid. He was constantly uh, just erupting against his friends and accusing them of the most outrageous treacheries and so forth. So he was all over the place. Was Beethoven now completely writing just for himself, or was there any part of him still desiring to please the public? Let's put it this way. All his life, he seemed oblivious to what people thought and to ideas and so forth. But in reality, he soaked up things around him like a sponge. And I don't think he was writing totally for himself, but he was following his own path. And he was very aware that he had to please somebody a certain amount of the time or he was not going to be able to make a living. He was very, as a professional composer, that's part of being a consummate musician. You're aware that you have an audience and you cultivate them here and challenge them here. And you try to get the best price for your pieces. And he was very good at that. He was a good businessman. So the pastoral style of music goes back to Handel 
and there oh, was... Oh, and beyond, very yeah. definitely. And by Beethoven's time, the culturally elite considered it passé. Uh, mm-hmm. He considered it drivel, as you write. You say that Beethoven even considered it drivel. So why was he writing it? I think Beethoven was his whole life, all the way to the Ninth Symphony, rivalrous toward Haydn. He had studied with Haydn, he knew Haydn, Uh, he was a bit of a paranoid person, he thought Haydn was trying to suppress some of his music, and Haydn had written these, at that time, very popular oratorios, The Seasons and The Creation, which are often very pictorial. This was considered the last word in writing about nature at the time, these pieces of Haydn, and I think surely part of Beethoven's motivation was, okay, all right, I'll show people how to write a pastoral piece, and I'll do it better than Haydn did. He represents birds in the pastoral symphony, and there's specific symbolism in this symphony. The nightingale is love, the cuckoo, the harbinger of summer, the quail, divine providence. These bird calls are supposed to sound, they're very literal, and they're supposed to sound quite natural. And he did sketch after sketch after sketch of just little details of how to place these things in the music, and that is so typical of him. Even something that's supposed to sound almost arbitrary, he sketched over and over and over again so that it had a precise arbitrariness that he felt worked the best. Beethoven looked back to past models, Haydn, Mozart, certainly in his early symphonies. At what point did Beethoven change from madman to trend setter, <laughs> the musical norm in which other composers of the time based their symphonies? His symphonies really were so overwhelming that he seemed to have just kind of soaked up everything possible. And composers after that had a new relation to the symphony because of Beethoven, which is, what in the world can I do that he didn't do? So the symphony actually coasted downhill for a long time after Beethoven. There was really nobody else around who was prepared to go at the symphony with the kind of intensity that Beethoven had. One of the secrets of Beethoven's career is he really had no rivals, no living rivals. The only one was Haydn who was already winding down uh, when Beethoven arrived. So he kind of had the field to himself, and he just overwhelmed everything and everybody, which is one of the reasons why a certain number of composers didn't like him. He seemed to be soaking up all the juice out there. Jan Swafford, thank you. Thank you, Monica. 
Colorado Public Radio brings you Beethoven symphonies along with the full range of great works through the centuries on our classical service throughout each day. CPR Classical is on the radio dial in Denver at 88.1 FM. We're on in Boulder at 99.9 FM. The full map of Colorado radio frequencies on our website, which is yet another place to hear us, cprclassical.org. We also listed our favorite recordings of Beethoven's Sixth Symphony there. More information about it, plus a video of the work in concert. You can subscribe to the Beethoven 9 at 9 podcast in the iTunes store or right from our website, again, cprclassical.org. Our producer of the Beethoven 9 at 9 is Gene Inaba. Our digital editor is Brad Turner. I'm host and executive producer Monica Vischer. Next time Jan and I discuss the 7th Symphony, the work that Richard Wagner called the apotheosis of the dance because of the many dance rhythms throughout. I hope you can join us for our next Beethoven 9 at 9 podcast only from Colorado Public Radio.